Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, let's, uh, let's get into God's Word. Uh, we have been in this series, Dear Church, and uh, we are in chapters 3 and 4 today. So turn over there with me, and as, as you turn in your Bibles there, um, can I just, uh, I, I just first of all want to say thank you um, to, to DJ, and uh, just we're, we're praying for the Chick Chick family um, through this whole thing, um, especially for Dutton. Um, thank you to everyone who's been supporting them. Uh, in that in that journey, um, you you are not forgotten. We're continuing to to pray over you guys, um, but thank you all for just the encouragement that that you've been to that whole family. In that, that's what the church is about, isn't it? And uh, and so as as we as we read through Scripture, um, can I can we recognize too as we read this, we're, we're we're reading a letter that was written to the church about how we are to be a church. And uh, this is going to be some instruction to us about how to follow Jesus. And, uh, and you're, you're living this. You're living this every single day. Um, it's not just Sundays that we show up to church and, and do this Jesus thing. It's, it's every single day uh, where we're at, um, wherever we work, wherever we, we serve, in our families, in our homes, um, in, the, in the experiences and the things that come, come up in our lives, we learn what it means to follow Jesus. And today's no different. Um, as we go to chapter 3, uh, we are going to be learning about how to grow up in Christ and, uh, and learn how to follow Jesus and, uh, and, and grow in Him. And so we're, we're going to discover what that's all about this morning. But um, so you know, before we read the text, uh, this is a letter that was written to the church in Corinth. And uh, this was a major city at that time, um, and uh, this was a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was called um, out of uh, religion of Judaism and uh, called by Jesus himself and uh, was, was told that you're, you're going to be my chosen instrument to go and deliver my gospel to the Gentiles. And uh, that's what he did. He went on to go and plant churches. He was a church planter, and, and for, you know, he went from city to city to city, founding, planting churches, and establishing elders in those places. And uh, Corinth was the place that he was writing to, it was a place that he planted a church. He, he put elders in place, and he, he knew these people really well. He stayed there for about a year and a half um, doing a, a tent-making ministry. He, he worked on the side um, to support himself, and, and then he was also building into people. And then it came time where God called him to go somewhere else. And uh, he answered that call. He left, but about five years later, according to what I've read, is that word came to him that there were some problems happening in the church in Corinth. And that's why he wrote this letter. He wrote in response to, uh, to these problems. He wrote to them about how to correct these problems in the church at that time. And, uh, and so I, I know that we can connect with this because we know that we're not perfect. But can I just, so that we're all on the same page, there are no perfect people and there are no perfect churches. And while their, their problems may not be exactly the same problems that we have, what we recognize is that, uh, man, when, when the Scripture speaks, 
It's going to dig into our, our hearts, and it's going to teach us and teach us how, how to be a church. And so that, that's why we're going through this letter, um, to, to just learn that, uh, man, we, we all have room to grow and learn. And today, we're going to talk specifically about that, just how to grow up as a follower of Jesus and what that actually means. So let's get into the text. Um, chapter 3, we'll start at verses 1 and 2. And uh, if you got your Bible, follow along. If you don't have one and want to use your phone, we're in the ESV version if you want to follow the exact translation that we're using. Um, but, um, but chapter 3, verse 1 says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. All right, so you, you get this idea right away. He's, he's talking about growing up, and he uses this illustration of, he talks about babies, okay? We've got a baby here with us this morning. We love it. Um, and, and when we look at a baby, what do we expect? We expect that, oh, we're going to have to hold it. You know, we're, it can't, doesn't have the muscle, muscle memory, doesn't have the functions yet to be able to take care of itself. We're going to have to feed it nurture it. You know, I have to, have to give it milk, not solid food. Um, it's it's going to need us to change it, to provide for it, to comfort it. Um, I mean, that, that's what we expect to do with infants, with babies. But when it comes to adults, while babies are cute, I think we can all agree that adult babies are not cute. <laughs> and I think, you've, I think you've seen probably pictures of adult like adults dressed up in diapers and, you know, having a pacifier. And it's just not, not just like, get that image out of your head because it's just gross. It's wrong. Okay? But that's kind of what, what Paul is saying. It's like, guys, five years ago, I gave you the gospel. And you're still, you still are acting like spiritual babies. You're not growing up in Christ. You're not maturing. And, uh, you know, that's what he's calling them to. He's saying, I, I, you know, I gave you milk because that's, you know, that's what I expected you could receive, but now I want to give you meat, but you're not ready for it. And, um, you know, as, as, we, as we talk about this in our church, I, I'll be the first to say when we make some application to ourselves, I don't think we're actually the best at helping people mature as followers of Jesus. And I think that um, we all have some maturing to do, obviously. First, first thing I think we need to realize is that, that we are immature often as believers. Um, and and I'll, I'll, I'll share, share this with you, um, that uh, often the way that ch- churches teach about what it means to follow Jesus is they say, you got to get saved, okay? And you've probably heard this over and over again, okay? You're a sinner, okay? I think we all know this. You're a sinner. Okay, Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sins. He covered your sin by taking your place on the cross. And so by, by placing your faith in Jesus, believing on him, he, he, he'll cover your sin. You'll have eternal life with God. And so we'll call people, raise your hand, you know, come forward or pray a prayer, you know, and, and then, then get baptized, uh, become part of become part of the church. Maybe start serving. Um, maybe become a member, or or uh, you know start tithing. That that's a mark of you know. And that's basically 
what the church expects. But is there more than that? Absolutely there is. Read your Bible. Pray. Those are good things. But I'll tell you what, you can do all of those things and call yourself a Christian, okay, like these people in Corinth did, but yet still not be a disciple of Jesus. And when we think about the call of Jesus, his call was not raise a hand. His call was not, oh, get, get dunked or start tithing. Now, his call was not just come to me. It was come follow me. Come follow me. And that's what, I think that's what Paul is talking about here. Come follow me. Learn from me. Apprentice under me. That's a, actually a better word. Than, uh, than the word Christian, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you apprentice under him. It means that you spend every day with him. You learn from him every day. You correct your behavior. You try to be like him. And that's, that's Jesus' call upon your life. It's his call upon my life. It's not just for a professional. This is for every single person it says that they've placed their faith in Jesus, that they're a follower of Jesus. That's what it means. And that's, that's another level, okay? But unfortunately, and this is where I think the church fails at this, is that we make people think that that's optional. We think, oh, that's, that's for the people that they just want to go to the next step, okay? Okay? You, you, you can get saved, you can baptize and come to church, attend church faithfully, and all good, Okay? And we get people the impression that that's all that there is. And Paul is saying, no, there's more. Because what this means is that um, growing up means that you apprentice under him. You've agreed that I want to follow Jesus every single day of my life. That just like people would follow a rabbi in that day, and Jesus was a rabbi, it kind of basically meant, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with him as a disciple. I'm going to get dirty with the dust behind him from following him. Okay, that, that's what it means. I'm going to be covered with his dust. That's what it means to follow Jesus that close. But what he says to these people is, you're not there, and I want you to be there, and I want to be there. I'll tell you that. I want to be there. I want you to be there, okay? So what does that mean? He's going to give us some tips. First of all, he's going to tell us some of the marks of their immaturity. And uh, that goes on in verses 3 and 4. He says, uh, starting verse 3, For you are still of the flesh. Okay, you're still thinking in human ways, fleshly ways. And he gives some marks. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus. Are you not being merely human? So there's, there's three things that he, he points out, basically. Marks of immaturity are that you're still just, you're consumed with yourself instead of serving others. Um, you're, you're concerned about arguing about little things instead of action and unity um, they were concerned about forming cliques around who they liked as their spiritual leader instead of lining up and, and serving Christ as their leader. Those, those were marks of their immaturity. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we do the same thing. And so what, what Paul is telling us is that, um, that uh, 
if you are going to mature, your life is going to change. Your life is going to look different than when you first, before you followed Jesus. And that's really a question for us as if, you know, if you call yourself a Christian, is your life, do you live your life, we'll just say Sunday's okay, but do you live your life Monday through Saturday any different than you would if you didn't call yourself a Christian? And the answer should be, yes, my life is drastically different because I'm a follower of Jesus, because I'm constantly learning from him, I'm constantly being changed by him. My life is completely different. But if, if you're like, man, my life is not really much different than if I didn't follow Jesus in the first place, then you know that you've got some maturing to do, okay? Um, what Scripture says is, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And that should mark each one of us. And so, I kind of wonder, if Paul were here at Valley Church today, what would he say to us? That's a convicting question. What would he say to me? What would he say to you? Would he still say, you are a spiritual infant? Um, I, I'm guessing right now, we've, we've got some changes to make. Okay? Don't let that discourage you. Just take it as an invitation. Okay? Because that's Jesus' invitation to you. Come follow me. Okay? Not here to discourage you this morning, but here to just, we're here to follow Jesus together. All right? Keep on reading. Here's some more ways to mature. Verses 5 through 9, he talks about this. And uh, he, he speaks specifically about um, how to regard leaders in the church. And, um, and we'll apply that to, to the rest of life as well. But uh, verses 5 through 9, he says, What then is Apollos? And then what then is, is Paul? Okay. Um, we, we were talking about them a few weeks back, and they had this, this you know, conflict as to saying, like, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, you know, and they're were, they were forming these different groups around these leaders that they followed, okay? And he's saying, well, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? What then is his, uh, his servants, he says, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so right away, he, he makes this point, man, I'm nothing, Apollos is nothing. We're simply just servants through which you believed in Jesus. You didn't believe on Paul. You didn't believe on Apollos. Um, we're, just, we're just vessels. We just deliver the message to you, and you believe through us, okay? And then he, he gives this illustration of a farmer planting a seed and then someone coming, coming over and, and watering it. And just so, so we kind of get this, this straight in our heads, what, what he's saying is, is uh, I, I basically had, had the seed of the gospel, and I planted it in the ground, like a farmer does. Okay, Paulus came along, and he took some water, and he, he watered it, okay? But we couldn't cause it to grow. We just, we just provided the right conditions for it to grow. And what did God do? He said, God provides the, the growth. And so he who waters, and he who plants, they both need each other. They're all working together. They're one but it's, it's God that we depend on. 
It's him. And so he's really just showing the foolishness of uh, seeing that, oh, this, this leader is more important than another leader because, oh, this, this leader, oh, he's got this great ministry of, of planting churches. But then you forget that there's all these other people that are serving maybe behind the scenes, you know, having a men's breakfast or teaching Sunday school class or, or being a 242 leader or just calling somebody up on the phone and encouraging them and praying for them. That's what he's talking about. He's saying uh, some people are like, you know, a farmer that plants a seed, but other people water that seed. But do both of them work together? Absolutely. And at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, does the work. The farmer and, and the, the person that waters, I mean, they're working with God together. And when we think about our church in that way, and when you think about what you do every single day, when you go to work, when you serve your kids in, in your home, when you teach school, you know, when you operate something at, at a chemical plant, whatever you do, you're a link in that chain. You're planting, you're watering, you're planting, you're watering. And God provides the growth if you're faithful to do what he tells you to do. And that's an encouraging thing, okay? As, as he keeps on going, he, he, really, he really even points this out even more specifically. Um, read, read on. He, uh, I want to point this out as well. He says, um, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Think about that. You're not going to receive your wages because... You got a better education than somebody. That's how the world works, okay? Because you got the master's degree or the doctorate, and so you can get paid more, okay? Um, no, he's saying, saying, saying it's not based upon your skill. It's not based upon your talent. It's based upon your faithfulness to just to doing the job, to, to working alongside God and, and being obedient to him. Each one will be rewarded according to his labor according to his labor. And then he says this, verse, verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. That's encouraging to know. You are God's field, God's building, okay? Talk, talk about this, though. We are God's fellow workers. To think, God wants you to work with him. Kind of get this illustration, this idea of, of, you know, a, a dad mowing the lawn and the son, you know, coming beso- behind with a little bubble, bubble mower, okay? <laughs> like, you know, you, you've seen that before, you know? And the son thinks he's doing such a good job, but is he really needed? No. But does the father want him there? Absolutely. And so just think, think about that in relation to our work with God. Sometimes we think, oh man, it all depends on us. We got to get all the work done. We got to do it all when yet God is just inviting you and he's saying, just join me in my work. You are my fellow workers. And you're not insignificant because I want you there. Um, even even the, the days of creation were actually designed to show us this because uh, if, if we're reading through, through Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, we see there was not morning and evening every day. Actually says there was evening and and morning. And, and that made up the day. So, so the day literally begins 
in the evening. And what do we do in the evening? We sleep. But does God sleep? No. He's already started his work. And so get this, get this picture in your mind that, that God, he is already starting to do his work. And when you wake up in the morning, you're rising to join him as a fellow worker in the work that he already began. It doesn't depend on you. But he's just asking you, come on. Come on, be, be my fellow worker. Join me in what, what I have planned for you to do. You'll be rewarded not for, you know, how hard you work or how smart you are. You know, you're going to be rewarded for just, just joining me. Okay? And so, um, each one will receive wages according to his labor. Um, let's move on to verse 10. This has been encouraging, hasn't it? And, and convicting. All right, he's going to talk about uh, another mark of maturity, and that's how, how, how we see ourselves as the church, as individuals, and the foundation we're built on. Verse 10 says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, um, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so he's, he's talking about laying a foundation, building how, how we build. And, and he, he first, I, I think he's first applying it to, to the work of, of planting, planting the church. He's saying, when I planted the church here in Corinth, I built it on the foundation of Jesus Christ, his gospel. And we even sang that song this morning, you know, upon this rock, you will build your church and the gates of hell won't prevail. You know, we, we build the, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. And he's saying, because of that, be careful how you build. I'll tell you, even, even as a pastor, there are a lot of growth strategies, building strategies that are out there, and, and a lot of them are, are very good and wise and smart and not saying to, to listen and utilize them, but man, if, if you view that the church should be built on any other foundation than on Jesus Christ and his gospel, and you forget that it is he who is in control of his church— and no business scheme or advance in technology can, can do the work that he can do. Um, I'm not saying we don't utilize it. We do. Obviously, you can see that. But man, if we lose our foundation of Jesus Christ and start building with, with wood and hay and straw, you know, just things that are going to burn, um, it's, the foundation is going to crumble. And that's basically what he's saying. is like, don't build the foundation on Jesus Christ and then start building with hay and straw and then bricks on top of that. And it's just going to going to fall over, saying, keep on building on Jesus Christ. Watch how you build. Watch how you build. But then the other thing is, is that, and this is sobering, is that he's saying, 
fire is going to test what sort of work each one has done. And so literally, God is saying that not only is he going to test um, the church, he's going to test the substance of all of our work. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, um, we do work every single day. We give our time, our talents, our treasures, you know, our, our, all of our energy to building something. And God has made work as an act of worship to him. I mean, work came before the fall. Work is not part of the curse, okay? And so, so he, he's, he's giving us work to do, but he's saying, you can do your work every single day in a way where you get to the end and you realize that we know from Scripture what's going to happen. So there's not going to be a global flood, okay? We know that. God, God said after the flood of Noah, I'm never going to flood the earth again. But what we do know is that this earth is going to all burn. It's going to be recreated, okay? But everything that we build, everything that we put our time and energy and money into, you know, we're going to die, okay? First of all, we're going to die. What's going to happen then? Well, it's not up to us. But then second, at the end of, at the, end of the world, it's all going to burn, okay? And God is going to recreate this earth. And we are going to dwell upon this earth, okay? We think, oh, we're going we're gonna to go up to heaven, okay? We're going to go up there, okay? An understanding of Scripture is actually that we actually will reign with him here on earth. Study the Bible and you'll see that. Very interesting to study it. But he's saying because of that, because you know that, watch how you build. Be careful what you put your time and your energy and money toward because... I'll just say, based upon the way I spend my week, pretty much all of what I do is probably going to burn. What we value, it's going to burn up. It's going to be gone. And so let's, let's watch how we build. Let's watch what we build with. Because if we're building with wood or hay or straw, not gold, silver, or precious stones, that means like, you know, strong stones like granite or things like that, okay? Um, God is going to test the quality of our work. Um, I've even heard, heard, heard the, I don't know if you call it a poem, but, uh, you know, they, they say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I'll tell you, those things that we, we will carry with us into eternity will be those things that are not tangible with our that we, we can say, oh, look at that, I built that, I did that. It would be those relationships, those words that we say to each other, the, the acts of generosity, um, those things that we did for eternity. Those are the things that are going to last, those things that we did for the Lord. That's how we're going to be measured. And so, really, really, again, as, as we talk about growth, when we are maturing as a follower of Jesus, we are placing more priority on those things than we are our physical surroundings and building empires for ourselves, building a secure future. We think it's a secure future, but it's really not, okay? Um, let's move on to 16 through 23. He carries this on. Um, do you not know you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you. 
If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Uh, This Sunday is what we call Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And it's a Sunday where we recognize exactly what this verse said, is that uh, God has created you and I. Um, No matter how old you are, we we believe that, that God has created life from conception to the grave, and that God values life, and that life is holy. And, and so, so we recognize on this day, and we, we do things like support the Women's Care Center in Parkersburg because they're going about this work of valuing life. And valuing life isn't just valuing life of babies. It's valuing life at every single age that you're at. Sometimes I think we forget that. Valuing every single person, no matter who they are, no matter what they're, what they're into, no matter you know, what addiction they be, may be facing right now that may be shameful in our culture, they're still valuable to God and holy to Him. And that's, that's why he says, you are God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells within you. I, I think we forget this too often when we, when we come to church. We come into a place like this, and we call it a, a sanctuary. But literally, what he's saying is, you are a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, and that's why you're holy. And so when you go out of this place, you're a dwelling place for God. God lives within you if, if you've placed your faith in Him. You are His child. And so that, that changes what you do, and that should also be a reason to mature. And, and when, when you walk into a place realize you go to work next, you know, on Monday, you know, when you walk into that grocery store, when, when you come, come into a conversation with somebody, change your, your thought process about yourself that, you know, God dwells within me and he wants to use me as a fellow worker with him. And maybe it just takes you pausing and taking a breath in and just realizing it for a second, but that God wants to work through you as his temple, as his sanctuary. That's a mark of maturity. Don't go throughout your day just forgetting it because you are holy. You're holy. That's an incredible truth. Keep on reading. Verse 18. Um, let no one deceive you. Sorry. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and that they are futile, that they are futile. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. There's a lot there. We can't talk about all of it, but again, he just reiterates that uh, man's wisdom isn't God's wisdom. God wants us to have his wisdom. How do we know his wisdom? We we read his word. Um, we, We seek God, and that's where true wisdom is found. And uh, another, another mark of maturity is he just says, 
if, if you're mature, if you're growing in Christ, you're not someone that just boasts in other men because you realize that we're all one in Christ. We're not in competition against one another, but, you know, that, that's our tendency. We tend to get excited about people that, are, that have something that we don't have, ha- have talent or have money or have power, and we, th- we simply elevate them to a different position, and we realize, we forget that we also have that in Christ. We are all one in Christ. And so he's saying there, there's no place to elevate men or women in the Lord. Um, we're all valuable to God. We are all valuable to him. He says, all things are yours. I want to just point this out also. He says, all things are yours, whether it be life or death. Some of you, you're facing this right now, and you're wondering, is God in control? And yes, he is in control. He is in control of life. He's in control of death. That's the truth that we got to hang on to as, as followers of Jesus. He proved it in his resurrection. He died. He was resurrected again, okay? He, all things are yours, life and death. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So that's chapter three. There's a lot in it. Man, I encourage you to study it some more if you want. Um, we're going to move on to chapter four because uh, Doug is going to preach on chapter five next week, and I'm excited about it. But in order to get there, we got to get through chapter four, okay? I'm not going to comment a lot on it. But there is a couple things I want to point out in it. But let's read it first. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let me just pause there, explain a little bit of this before we read the rest of the chapter. Um, two ways that Paul describes himself. He says, first of all, um, this is how you should see us. You should see us as servants of Christ. That's, that's, that's the word, that's the phrase that he uses, okay? The word servant that he used there, I want you to know this one, it's the word hyperados. And it literally means to be an under rower, Okay? You're not going to be familiar with this unless you watch the movie Ben-Hur. Who's watched that movie? The, like, 1970s Ben-Hur, okay? Yeah, it's a good one, okay? Um, rent it and watch it if you haven't because it's a classic. But there is this scene in Ben-Hur where he is made to be a slave, okay? And he's not the lowest. Basically, he's, you know, he, he was convicted, I think, of a crime or something like that. He's, he's made to work on a ship, on a military ship, and he's put in stocks, chained to stocks, and, and chained to an, to an oar where there's hun- hundreds of other slaves that are rowing this, this ship, okay? And it's, it's this crazy scene where there's this drummer drumming out the beat, like, row, 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 okay, and you got to see it. But every time that drum beat hits, he's taking, he's taking a paddle. He's taking a paddle, okay? 
And they're all working in sync with one another according to the master of the ship's direction and his guidance. That is what Paul is saying that he is. He's an under rower. And he rows to the beat of the pilot's drum, the master pilot's drum, in the direction that the pilot wants him to go. That's the way that he sees himself. The second the second distinction that he says is, I'm also a steward. I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. A steward was also a servant, but not like what we would expect. Not like American slavery that, that so tragically dehumanized so many people. And, and that happened back then too in some ways, but, but it was different. It was different in a lot of ways because in that time, most, most people actually lived as slaves of other people, but it wasn't as demeaning and often, often in some cases. And, and this kind of slave was a steward, and it was, it was someone that the master trusted with his whole household. Kind of like, like Joseph, if you think about Joseph. He was put into Potiphar's household. He was trusted because he was faithful. And Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household. <laughs> Everything except for his own wife was, uh, was, was his to control. And so, so think about this as Paul sees himself as, as acting with his master's authority. But what's the key to being a faithful steward? Is that you be trustworthy. You don't, want, you don't want to put someone in a position of being a steward in your house if they're going to rip you off, if they're going to steal from you, if they're going to lie to you. And that's what he's saying about, about, about myself, is that, is that the most important thing for you and for me as we grow in Christ is that we be found faithful, obedient to the Master's wishes, carrying it out without delay. And so... As stewards, verses 3 through 5, then he, he talks about how we answer to Christ. He says, I'm not really concerned about what you think about me. And some people didn't really think too much about Paul because he, he, wasn't, he wasn't that eloquent of a speaker, but he wrote really good, okay? He was like, write really strong words in his letters, and then he'd show up and you're like, who is this guy? And, uh, and he said, I'm not really concerned about what you think about me. Because first of all, I grow to the beat of my pilot, my master's drum, and I'm a steward of his. Okay, and so he, he literally says, it's a small thing that I be judged by you. That, that may sound really appealing for us to even say to others, like, I don't really care about what you think. Okay. I mean, so some of us, we, we have that kind of personality. Like, I don't really care what people think about me. But I'll tell you, that can lead to arrogance. And that was a problem for the Corinthians. And so I don't think we should just take that right off the bat and be like, ah, God will judge me. That's, that's all I really care about. You know, I don't care about what you think. No, I think we should in the church. We should really care about one another. And a mark of maturity is actually humility is receiving from someone, you know, correction. And uh, being able to open our lives up to other people to be able to, to say like, hey, like I see this in your life and here, you know, here's how you can mature. You hurt someone here and, you know, and, and receiving it and not getting upset and be like, ah, I don't care what you think. Paul, he was an apostle though. 
I think he, he, was, he, was a, he, was, he, was, he was he was called by Jesus to be an apostle. I think he had the authority to speak into the church in the way that he did. And so I think that's why he said that. But, but there's even humility there. He says, I don't even judge myself. I don't even judge myself. I'm leaving it up to God. And that's the thing is that, that our own judgment of ourselves is almost always wrong. And think about that. Paul said, I, I don't even judge myself. Our own judgment is often always wrong about ourselves. And so, um, so he says, it says as, he, as he keeps on going, he, he talks about learning to submit yourself to the Lord, not going beyond what is written. I think we stopped at verse 5, didn't we? Let's keep on reading. We'll read through the end of the chapter. He says, verse 6, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against, against another. For who sees anything different in you? What, what do you have that you did not receive? And then if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. He's talking about, he's saying, like in comparison to us, this is, this is what you look like. Without us, you become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us, apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. I think he's being a little tongue-in-cheek there. We are weak. You are strong. We're held. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I believe that's the way that they felt, often the way that they were treated. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. And that's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but of power. What do you wish? Should I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Well, there you have it. We could say a lot about, um, about those closing words, but uh, it's all, again, just a letter to the church saying, I want you to grow in Christ. You know, I, I, the words that stand out to me, as, as that chapter closes, he talks about being a father. 
He's not, he's not coming like, you know, as someone who doesn't love them. He's coming like a father who loves them, saying, I, I want you as a child to grow. What parent does not want that for their children? If you're a parent, you, you want to work. You, you work for your children to, to grow up, to mature, to become more and more independent, and to learn to do things and be honest and reputable and uh, in, in, in serving God. And, and that's what he wanted for them, like a father with his children. That's what he wanted. And that's the way that we'll go into chapter 5 next week, but I encourage you maybe even study it as you, as you go, because we're going to get into some more topics that are going to be difficult. But if you approach it with the mindset that this is like a father talking to children that he loves, he cares about, um, we'll get it right, okay? All that to say, let's close and let's realize that God has invited us into this together. And he uh, invites us, not just come to me, but come follow me. And some of the things that we talked about today, that Paul gave us in the letter to the Corinthians, are his invitations to us as well. And so let's pray. Thank God for it. Father, thank you for your word. God, there's a lot of things in here that we find convicting. Um, Lord, areas where where uh, we realize that we're falling short. Um, but Lord, in spite of our failures, you call us your beloved children. You call us by your name. You're known through us as your church, even in spite of all our, our, all our failures. And so Lord, we just close and we say thank you. God, thank you for um, choosing us to be your fellow workers even though we, uh, we struggle every single day. Lord, I even think of those that um, maybe this is all really brand new to them and are like, I, I, I didn't even sign up for this yet. Lord, help them to know that, that your call is also for them to join you in this, to join you in the work that you began in their life and God, to, to give their life to you. That when you come, that uh, their whole life, everything that they work hard for, won't be burned up. But God, that it will be secure in you. We look forward to that day. God, we want to work toward it. So Lord, teach us this week how to do that. Walk with us into our workplaces. Walk with us in, in the difficulty of, of raising children or being a teacher or working, working in, the, in the places that we do. Lord, and the things that come up this week, Help us to learn, show the love and grace of, of the Father that we've received first. And we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.